So tonight we're in the book of Hebrews. We're getting close to the end of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 3 through 17. In a study I'm calling Keep Moving Forward. If you're a Disney fan and watch Meet the Robinsons, you would be able to sing that song. It's probably one of the weirdest movies that Disney made, but I like it, right? Keep moving forward. So, and that's what the Lord has called us to do. Keep moving forward. That was, that was another song that I sung during my singing days, but they booted me out. I got kicked off. He's got talent. So. Our, our America's got talent. I was in Europe during that time. So keep moving forward. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 17. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your providence in our life, Lord. Lord, that you met each one of us, if we're believers here tonight, with the gospel in many different ways, Lord. But yet, Lord, you got a hold of our heart. Pray, Lord, if there's any here tonight who aren't believers, Lord, that they would know that you have them here by providence so they can hear the gospel and be saved. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the work's not done. Lord, that now as born-again children of you, you're continuing to change us and shape us and mold us into your image. You have a plan and a purpose for our life, Lord, and you want us to be victorious in that plan. You're not going to leave any of us behind, Lord. You're going to rescue us and carry us. And so, pray, Lord, through your word tonight and through your spirit that you would work those things out. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Christian life, as you read through the New Testament, is illustrated a number of different ways, right? We're described as soldiers in a battle. We're described as athletes and specifically runners, as we saw last week here in the book of Hebrews. The Christian life is described as a race that you and I are in, running this for the Lord. Now, the race that we're in is not a short, easy stroll, but it's a long-distance race that requires endurance and patience. It's one of those ultra-marathons. It began the moment you were born again, and it will end when you go home to be with Jesus, or the Lord comes back and raptures his church. In order to bring out this endurance race that we run, the writer used an interesting word for the word race there in verses 1 through 2. He used the word agony. That's really what the Greek word is there. It can be translated agony. This race that we're running is a race that requires endurance, and at times it can be agonizing. It's, it's a tough race. It's not guaranteed to be easy. We'll learn that as we look at the examples given to us here in the book of Hebrews. These believers were experiencing that very thing. Their life was a life of trials and tribulations. They were suffering for their faith in Jesus. They were being persecuted by those around them because they were believers. Now, the natural effect of these trials and tribulations causes weariness. And these believers were becoming weary. They started off good, man. They were running strong. Then these trials and tribulations came. We studied them a while ago, but we know specifically it was about mockings and persecutions. Many of them had their homes taken away and goods confiscated away from them. And so here they are serving the Lord, but experiencing suffering. The result of this, uh, in, in a natural way of thinking, is weariness. And they were experiencing that. Verse 12, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. And so these believers are described as a runner who is weary. Their hands are hanging down, right? Their knees are, are feeble. They're like jello, you know, after they've been running for a while, and they're just, they're just worn out. Now, what were they to do? 
Were they to give up? Some of them were even thinking about turning back to Judaism and going back to where they came from. Well, the writer says, return is not an option. Compromise is not an option. Rather, they were to continue to press forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. How were they to do this? Well, they weren't to think carnally. To think physically, to think humanly would be just to give up. But they were to think biblically. And verses 3 through 17 shows us how to do so. The writer's going to give us, and these believers, three essential principles to help us keep pressing forward when times get tough as we're running our races for Jesus. Those three things are the following. First, you can be encouraged in your race by staying focused on the Son of God. Second, you can be encouraged in your race by staying focused on the Word of God. And third, you can be encouraged in your race by staying focused on your future inheritance. And so, first of all, in verses 3 and 4, we learn that you can be encouraged in your race by staying focused on the Son of God. He says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. And so the writer now is going to encourage these believers. And the way that he does it, he says, Hey guys, here it is. I want you to step back and I want you to consider the sufferings of Jesus. The word consider carries this idea of making a detailed study. So he said, hey guys, I want you just to sit back, think about Jesus' life, make a detailed study of it, and specifically about how he received hostility from sinners. Just think about Jesus' life. He was rejected by Israel as their Messiah. He was betrayed by Judas, his close friend. Right? He received false accusations against him by the religious leaders. He experienced mockings and beatings and scourgings. And finally, his life ended with the crucifixion. And we know that that wasn't it, right? The Lord rose again from the dead. But this was the race that he ran. This was the race that the Lord set before him. Now compare his circumstances to our circumstances. As we do so, it will prevent us from becoming weary and discouraged in our soul. Today, we have all kinds of preventions, right? Medicines to prevent things, prevent heartburn, right? Take this pill, man, you're guaranteed not to have heartburn for the rest of your life kind of thing, right? Well, God has given us the meds for weariness and discouragement as, a, as we face trials and tribulations in this life. The way that we do so is by thinking about Jesus, by focusing on him, thinking about what he went through for us. How does that encourage us? Well, we can pull out three encouragements from here. First, we have a comparison, And we know here that the race that the Lord ran was tough. Our races are not that tough. And the Hebrews race was not that tough. He said, hey guys, you haven't yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. Think about God had his own son come to this earth and look what he suffered. Compare your circumstance to his. It doesn't compare. And no circumstance can ever compare to have the weight of sin put on you on the cross. So in in a way... We have nothing to complain about. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not downplaying our trials and tribulations in life. They are tough, and the Lord has given you grace, and and, and he won't give you more um, than you can bear, even though it feels like it's more than we can bear apart from his grace. But the Lord always has us focus on Jesus, not on ourselves, and not on others around us. As we look to others around us and as we look to the world, it's easy for us to become discouraged. It's easy for us to become covetous, of their life, right? But as we focus on Jesus, it puts us in our proper perspective. 
and puts our life in, the, in, a, in a proper place. Second, looking at Jesus will give us a correct understanding of how far endurance should go and can go. Verse 4 says that endurance can, can go as far as death. These believers didn't think so. You see, they were experiencing this persecution. They're like, hey, man, this is as far as our endurance can go. We're, we, you know, we're weary. Our knees are feeble right now. And the writer says, no, your endurance can go a lot farther than that. It can go to the point of death. Look at Jesus. His endurance went to the point of death. And third, these verses can encourage us because we know if Jesus' race was harder than ours and God empowered him to finish his race, how much more can we be, you know, can we be, be victorious in our races if they're not as hard as his? And so whatever the Lord has you going through tonight, whatever he, you know, he's allowing in your life, whether it's trials or tribulations, look to Jesus. Don't look to others around you. Look to the Lord and know that if the Lord has given him victory, to, to go to the cross and despise the shame, even so the Lord will give you his grace and victory. Not going to be easy. It's an agony, of course, but the Lord will give us grace. Second, in verses 5 through 11, we learn that you can be encouraged in your race by staying focused on the word of God. Now, the point of these verses is to point the believer to the word of God. And as we do, these believers will be reminded that the scriptures, uh, fr- from the scriptures, that trials and tribulations are able to be used as the Father as a tool to mature us as sons and daughters in Him. He says in verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. And so here is these believers. They're running their race. They're growing discouraged and weary. And the writer says, hey, guys, you have forgotten the wisdom literature that you learned growing up. Every Jew knew if they were to walk in maturity and wisdom, they needed to apply the inspired book of Proverbs to their life. This is the book of wisdom. Wisdom was shouting forth to them from the pages of Scripture. They had forgotten Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12, which describes God's relationship to believers as a faithful father. We're told that God the Father is actively involved in the believer's life, training and correcting us as a faithful father does. How does God do this? Well, as a faithful father does, he disciplines us as his children. His discipline is described in two ways here in this passage. First, it's described as chastening. This carries the idea of correcting and instructing, teaching right from wrong, right? Second, it's described as scourging. What does this mean? Scourging does not mean beating, as we think of the word scourging, right? But it's what we consider spanking. It's corporal punishment. It's discipline for the child in order to learn obedience. And this is what God does in our life as believers. He teaches us. He instructs us. And if we get out of line, well, then the Lord is faithful to discipline us, to bring us back into conformity to his standards. The writer takes that passage and he says, hey guys, you've forgotten these things. Think about how much discouragement comes in our life and sin comes in our life by forgetting the scriptures. I mean, that's often the first step, right? You forget the scriptures. Not that we don't know them, but we fail to apply them to our life. And this is what was going on here. They were failing to, to you know, be reminded of these things and apply them to their life. And as a result, 
they're going to this area of discouragement and weariness. And as we're going to see in verses 12 through 17, it was leading them into an area of, of sin and possible judgment. Now, verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. And so the writer now shed some biblical light concerning their trials and tribulations. You see, their trials and tribulations were being allowed by God, not because they were in sin or because they were out of his will, but these things were all a part of God's plan in order to train them and make them mature. And so they were facing these things. They're like, man, we got to get out of these things. This is not right. And the writer says, oh, no, you guys have forgotten the scriptures. God is using these things, chastening, to instruct you, to encourage you, to teach you the right ways to walk. He's teaching you maturity through these things. The things that we're facing were not a sign that God had abandoned them. He was not a negligent father. God loved them, and he was demonstrated it, demonstrating that fact by training them through these tough times. Now, it's important to know concerning trials and tribulations that God was not the author of these trials and tribulations. God is good, and therefore he cannot do anything evil, right? Nor can God be the author of sin. And so God didn't make these trials come into these believers' life. But Satan, who's our enemy, uses fallen mankind, and he you know, has them under his sway, and they use their evil free will to do evil acts against believers and against mankind. Now, God in his infinite wisdom and his providence well, sometimes allows these things to happen, and he's able even to use them in his, word, in his work of conforming us to his image. Think about the life of Joseph, for example, in the Old Testament. Joseph's brothers, they did some evil things, right? They said, hey, here's Joseph. I got an idea. Let's sell him to these Israelite traders. And they, they sold him there and you know, and then he was in there and, you know, Potiphar's wife, you know, came on to him and that didn't turn out well. And, you know, she ended up, you know, accusing him of rape and you know, he was put in prison. You know, while he was prison, you know, and, the, you know, the story goes on and on and on. Well, at the end of his life, he was able to say, hey, you meant it for evil to his brothers, but God meant it for good. God was able to use those things in his life by his providence to put him where he wanted him, but also to make him the man that he was. And that's what God was doing through these trials and tribulations of these believers. These folks meant it for evil, but God in his wisdom was able to use it for good. He was chasing them. He was able to instruct and teach them through these things. So they weren't a sign that God had abandoned them. They were actually a sign that God loved them and he was going to bring them through it. They were a sign that they were his children, that they were born again believers walking by faith. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so these believers were to look back at the correction they received from their human fathers. You see, their fathers, being fallen men, did what seemed best to them to, in order to train and discipline their children. It might always have been perfect, but it was able to be used 
And as they look back, they're able to respect them for it because it taught them wisdom, right? It taught them to walk as men. How much more should we submit to God the Father who's perfect, who is always absolutely good, who, when he chastens, it's always for a good and perfect purpose. So God, through these trials, was allowing these believers to grow in, in their faith. It was a tool of sanctification. So while our trials are not joyful at the present, as the writer said, at the present moment, but painful, it produces in us the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. If it was up to us, we would have it all ease, right? I mean, you know, if we had control of the thermostat, we wouldn't turn it up, right? But God does. And God at times knows what's best for us. He's absolutely wise and he's absolutely good. And he's able to work all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. These things that were coming into these believers' life was working out holiness in them. They are partakers of his holiness. He was making them more like himself. And that's often what they do, right? Everybody knows how they make silver and gold and things like that. Right? They have to put it in the fire. And there it starts to burn off the impurities. And the person who's making it knows that it's purified when, when they can see their own image in it. It's like glass. And even so, God does the same thing with us. Sometimes he'll have to put us in, allow us to be in a situation. And then, you know, and, and then sometimes the fire gets turned up. But the Lord does that in order for him to see his image in us. To make us more like him as he burns away these different things. Also... It produces us in us, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's how the Lord works. It bears fruit and fruit that remains. So third in verses 12 through 17, you're encouraged in your race by staying focused on your future inheritance. The writer goes on and says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Healing and blessing does not come by giving up. And going in sin. But, he, but heeding and obeying is what leads to those things. It's the total opposite of what we normally think as, as humans, right? We think, I'm just going to give up. And when I give up, it's all going to be better. I'm going to have healing. And I'm, I'm going to have rest. But it's just the opposite. The writer says, no, you need to obey these things. I'm telling you. Therefore, strengthen your hands, right? And so by applying these principles of life, they would be able to have a second wind to keep pressing forward. The Spirit would meet them exactly where they were, and He would pick them up and He would press them forward. And the writer goes on and says, if they wouldn't continue to press forward, then dangerous things can happen to their walk. Verse 14, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So there are dangerous outward effects of not applying God's word to your life, but remaining in a state of weariness and discouragement. It can cause disgruntlement and contention with others. It's often the source of those things as, you know, people become disgruntled, there's division. Often those things are produced because of discouragement. Discouragement turns into bitterness and sin and, and it can lead to open division. It can cause, uh, second, it, it can affect our holiness as you're tempted to give up and give in to the old sinful behavior and attitudes. All right? I mean, oftentimes, this is what the enemy does. He often attacks through discouragement. We think it being a small thing, but it's actually a great tool of the enemy. 
Holiness is an important part of the Christian life without which no one will see the Lord. What that means is if we're believers, God will produce holiness in our life, practical holiness, as we walk by him day by day by the power of the Spirit. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Falling short of the grace of God does not mean loss of salvation, but it means failing to apply the grace available to you to give you victory in that situation. And, you know, and sadly, many choose to remain in discouragement and remain in weariness rather than accepting the grace of God that is to them. The Lord wants us to accept his grace. You know, he'll meet us with his grace. And when we do, the Lord will pick us up and push us forward. Not applying the Lord's grace and pressing forward can lead to the root of bitterness springing up. This causes problems. This root of bitterness. Yes, it can refer to bitterness in our heart, right? As these thorns and and things begin to build bitterness in our life. But to these believers practically, it was referring to Deuteronomy 29, 18. Let me read to you what Deuteronomy 29, 18 says. Moses told the children of Israel, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose hearts turn away from the Lord our God and go and serve the gods of the nations that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. Moses was talking to the children of Israel about apostasy there as he was writing to them. And he described the apostasy of the children of Israel serving other gods as bitterness, as this bitter wormwood. Well, the writer is saying the same thing here for these Hebrew believers in context, if they would remain in weariness and discouragement, eventually it would lead to the point where they would continue to fall back and turn back to Judaism. They would be committing apostasy against the Lord. That's a dangerous situation for them to be in because we because we go on to read in verse sixteen, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know afterward. That when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And so in chapter 11, we had tons of good examples, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. We have all these heroes of the faith. And now the writer here in chapter 12 contrasts that with Esau. He said, if you, if you fail to apply God's grace in your life and press forward, you're not going to be like you know, the folks in Hebrews 11. You're going to be like Esau. Here in chapter 12, who was a fornicator and a profane person. Esau did not apply God's word to his life. He didn't care about it. Rather, he went out and married pagan wives, which were told that disappointed his father and mother. And also he was profane because he despised his inheritance. He didn't care about it. Yes, Jacob committed sin by deceiving him of his, you know, of his blessing. You know, Rebecca told him to do it, and he, but he followed along with it. But as far as his inheritance, Esau's inheritance, he didn't care about it. He came in and he was, you know, just got out of hunting and he was hungry and Jacob was cooking some food there and some stew. And he said, hey, I want some of that. I'm, I'm hungry. And Jacob said, okay, well, sell me your, you know, your birthright, your inheritance. And he said, yeah, I don't care about it. Here, go for it. Take it. And so he sold it for a bowl of stew. He despised it. He was profane. And as a result of that, when he found out what he did later on, when his father told him, he saw his father with tears. 
He wanted to return back to that place of blessing and inheritance. And the father said, it's too late. You've already sold your birthright. You've already sold your, you, you know, your, all these blessings. And the same would be true for these Hebrew believers if they would fail to press forward and apply God's word to their life. If they would not obey God's grace and his word, if they would choose to go back and have that bitterness and turn away from the living God, they would reach a point of no return. Physical judgment will come on them, and we know that physical judgment is referring to the 70 AD judgment that was coming upon Israel for their rejection of the Messiah. It's a specific context here. It's not talking about loss of salvation, but it's talking about loss of blessing, loss of inheritance, as they would choose to be disciplined by the Lord. For you and I tonight, it refers to being coming ensnared in sin. We can make a choice that ruins our life, that ruins our witness. We can make a decision in sin that, you know, that stops us in our race and hinders and brings bitterness in our life. The choice is ours. Are we going to continue to press forward or are we going to, you know, can choose to stop? For the Hebrews, it was very important because in their context, it can lead to physical judgment. For you and I tonight, it could also lead to judgment as the Lord will chasten those whom he loves. He will discipline us as his children. So don't go down that path. Keep focused on Jesus. Keep moving forward. If we're willing to press forward, the Lord will meet us where we are with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.